So when it comes to better decisions and, and uh, fewer regrets, there's a few reality checks that I want to walk us through before we can really get to the heart of today's message. And reality check number one is this. All decisions, both good and bad, have a compounding effect. All decisions, good and bad, have a compounding effect. What do I mean? Well, decision one is connected to decision two and three and four and so on, which leads to decision three, four, five, and six, which leads to the bigger decision that can affect your life. Another way to put it that there's, uh, there's very few decisions that we make in life alone that are standalone decisions that aren't already connected to a string of previous decisions that make that big decision feel like a big decision. For instance, good decisions have a compounding effect. If you eat right, if you exercise, if you drink a lot of water, if you go to bed on time and you wake up on time, if you follow basically Ben Franklin's rules for life uh, about eating and drinking and going to bed on time, uh, that has a compounding effect over time and you are a healthier person. But bad decisions also have a compounding effect. Bad decisions also have a compounding effect because, you know, you don't just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to do really bad things with my life today. You just don't wake up and say, hey, I'm going to destroy my marriage. Hey, I'm going to, you know, today's a good day. I'm going to destroy someone's career today. This, today's the day. Hey, I'm going to wake up. I can't wait to wake up today and have no money in my bank account and be completely broke. I can't wait for that. Today's the day. And no one says, you know, hey, today's a good day to get addicted to drugs. You don't just wake up and go, I want to be addicted. There's a series of decisions that lead to the decisions that lead to the decisions that create a compounding effect that results uh, in either good sets of decisions and bad decisions. Uh, one leads to the other. Reality check number two. Reality check number two, our decisions are heavily influenced by our emotions and our appetites. So most modern social psychologists argue that we actually don't make decisions apart from our emotions. It's actually a two-step process. First, we decide at the emotive level what we're going to do. And then second, our brains generally go find logic and reasons to support the decision we've made. Now, so mo most uh, social psychologists and moral psychologists would say that the brain can influence the heart's decisions, but it's not necessarily always the case that that happens. Another way to put it is that our hearts, our emotions generally at the gut level will make a decision. And then afterwards, our brain will go look for reasons to support uh, the thing we already had planned to do. Now, I know this is hard for you to accept, but it's true. And let me give you an illustration. This is why it is so hard for you to change someone's mind about politics. Why? Because they've already decided in their heart what they want to think about the issue, and you know they're wrong, and they're, you know, you know that they are wrong, and you're right, and you see the tension perfectly. Your political views are the most perfect political views, and they don't understand it. And no matter how many reasons you throw at them, it's like, well, what about this, and what about this, and this person said this, and I give it, they are not moved because they've already decided what they want to do in their heart. 
They've already made a decision at the heart level, at the gut level, and then they have reasons to support it, which is why your words seem to bounce off of them. This is also why you've never changed anyone's mind on Twitter when it comes to a deeply held political belief. You haven't changed their mind because you're not actually dealing with a logic or, or rational point of view. You're dealing with someone uh, who has decided what their point of view is going to be. So in many situations... We allow our hearts and our emotions, not all situations, but in many situations, we allow our hearts, we allow our emotions to rule our decision-making. And then what we do is we can, not all the time, but we can employ a variety of methods to support it. We use things like logic. Now, you have no problem using logic for your decision-making. Hear me out. You should be logical in your decision-making. But sometimes we use logic. We say, you know what? I have to make this decision. It's the logical thing to do. Or we'll use confirmation bias. Maybe you're familiar with confirmation bias. You know, I'm making this decision today uh, because it's not only the right thing to do, but everyone who I've spoken with agrees with my point of view. Never mind that I haven't spoken to the people that I usually speak to about this decision. I, had, I, I did a hand selection of the people I want to talk with about it, and they all agree with me. Or we even do things like we claim we have a word from the Lord. This is very common in Christian circles. Sometimes we'll invoke a clear word from God when we want to do something. And we'll say, sure, you know, I would, I would listen to reasons. I would listen to all these reasons, but I, I can't ignore the Lord. The Lord is moving here. I, ha I haven't been transparent with my church or the, my church community, and I don't want to debate. I'm not using all the checks and balances that are found in the scriptures that, are, that have been used in the Christian community for the last 2,000 years. I just know that God gave me a word, and I have to follow it, even if that means God told me I have to, God told me I have to do it, and I'm just willing to go alone. God told me so. Now, sometimes God does communicate to us specifically. He speaks to our hearts and he speaks to our minds using a variety of tools to clarify that, he is, that he's doing something. But it is always done in an authentic and transparent and loving way that is consistent with scriptures. And so sometimes we start with our own desires and our own appetites and then we can, we have the ability in our decision-making to employ a number of ways to justify what we already plan to do. All right, does that make sense? Does that, are we clear on that? All right, okay. So, and, um, and, um, and so number, just number three on our reality checks, our decisions can reveal our deep-seated anxiety. Our decisions can reveal our fears and anxieties. Let me tell you a story. Um, over the last, like, 20 years of ministry. Uh, I've had to hire some people. I've had to let some people go. I've also had some people resign on my team. And when I've made bad hiring decisions, it's because those decisions were generally connected to anxiety that I was experiencing at a deeper level. For some reason, I'm like, well, we got to make the hire. We got to get it done because this event is coming up. And we have to do this. There's so much going on. And, da, da, da. and I let my own anxiety pressure me into making hiring decisions that I probably shouldn't have made. But if I was coming from a place of non-anxious presence, maybe I wouldn't have made the hire. Or maybe I would have set up different kinds of boundaries when I was making those hiring uh, decisions. All right, And this goes on from in every uh, aspect of life, not just hiring. It can go into every 
aspect of life. It explains why she might choose to stay with him even though he's not a good guy. Yeah, he hasn't had a job in years. He's bad news. He's not good to her. Uh, you know, uh, but it's obvious to every outsider looking in on their relationship that she's anxious about the relationship. She thinks she's getting a little older. She doesn't know if she's going to meet someone. She's getting up in years. Maybe she's scared of being alone. And everyone on the outside looking in would say, dude, this guy's a bad dude. You need to break up with this dude. But you can't because the anxiety sometimes in a relationship can drive someone to make bad decisions. Does anyone know that's in, has anyone you know ever been in an unhealthy relationship and it feels like it's connected to an anxiety that they just can't get away from? Anxiety can drive our decisions. Now we're going to start to get closer to the happy news. Number four, reality check number four. Good questions lead to better decisions, and better decisions lead to fewer regrets. Now in reality, we do this all the time. When we have a decision to make, we ask ourselves all different kinds of questions, like, will this make me happy? Am I going to enjoy this? Will this hurt me? Will this hurt other people? Sometimes the question we ask is, will anybody find out? Will anyone find out about it? And these questions are fine. We do this. We evaluate ourselves with questions. But these questions are just okay. They're not great questions if we want to make better decisions. They're just questions of, you know, the, if we're going to be happy or not. Because sometimes when we make a decision that's based on our own happiness, it can ultimately lead to our sadness. And sometimes... When we make a decision in the pursuit of short-term enjoyment, it ends up resulting in long-term pain. And sometimes when we make a decision that doesn't hurt us now, that's fine, but it ends up hurting us in the long run. And sometimes the decisions we make in secret can easily become a public source of shame and embarrassment down the way. But the good news is there is a better set of questions that we can ask that help us to make better decisions and fewer regrets. And we're starting this series. It's going to be five weeks. It's going to be five questions. I'm only handling one question per week. And I'm going to read those questions to you now, all now, and then we're going to jump into the first one. Are you ready? Here they are. The integrity question. Am I being honest with myself? Really? And we'll dive what that into that means in a minute. Legacy question. What story do I want to tell? The conscience question, is there attention that deserves my attention? Ooh, I like how that rhymes. Maturity question, what's the wise thing to do? And then the relationship question, what does love require of me? Your decisions, along with other people's responses, your responses to other people's decisions, which are ultimately your decisions, are about the only thing you can control in your life. Your decisions are your steering wheel. They are your Nintendo Switch joystick. They are your keypad, which means, and this is big and it leads to number five, your decisions determine the story of your life. The truth is, we just don't know what hangs in the balance of our decisions. We can't accurately predict outcomes for all of your decisions, but we do know, and this is a big but, we do know that with every decision we make, there will be rewards and there will be consequences. 
So why wouldn't we take an extra five minutes when we have decisions to make and ask better questions? Because it can create a lifetime of reward or a lifetime of consequences if we don't. And so, um, you know, when you ask these questions, you're guaranteeing, you're not guaranteeing your own success, but you are guaranteeing that your fingerprints will be on your life. That it won't be someone else's fingerprints, someone else's opinions, it will be your choices on your life, your decisions. And so uh, I want to make sure that we're moving into the summer in such a way where we have a life that's worth celebrating. So we're going to talk about number one, are you ready? Are you guys ready? All right. All right. That was the world's longest intro. Okay. Do I need to have everyone stand up and uh, shake it out? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, cool. Don't make them stand up and shake it out, whatever that is. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, if you need to, just stand up and shout it, shake it out. All right, anyway, let's get started. Now, in order to talk about question number one, we have to tell a story. And that is the story of the last king of Israel that there ever was, King Zedekiah. And King Zedekiah was a bad man. But in order to talk about King Zedekiah, we have to understand how he got to the throne. The reason he got to the throne is because the other king got thrown out. The other king got thrown out by a Babylonian king named King Nebuchadnezzar. Can everyone say Nebuchadnezzar? Cool. We're not going to do that. You sound like a cult when I make you do that because it's just low level enough. All right. <laughs> We're a Christian church. Uh, so, uh, so Nebuchadnezzar was the supreme leader of all the land, uh, ever of the known uh, Central Asia area. And what he would do is he would take his armies and he would go into a territory and he would conquer it. And he would take the king and he didn't kill the kings. He was interesting. He was a little bit weird. What he would do is he would take the king and put him in golden handcuffs and ship him to Babylon. And what he would do is he would collect, kind of like a collector of Pokemon cards, he would collect all the kings of all the nations that he conquered. And so he took the king of Israel and he set him up and he would put him and then when there'd be parties, there'd be drinking and dancing and food, he'd be like, let's bring out all the kings I conquered. Let me see and he'd show. He was like a living museum a living collection of all the different kings. And then it was sort of weird. It's kind of like what we would call a human zoo. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. And he, uh, what he did is when he came into Israel, he plundered the city and he plundered the uh, temple treasury. And after he leaves, he takes the king with him and he appoints King Zedekiah to rule over it. And King Zedekiah was not a good guy. He did not follow after God as the scriptures Come to tell us. And shortly after Nebuchadnezzar and his army leave and sets up Zedekiah, he appoints Zedekiah to rule over that area on Nebuchadnezzar's behalf. Ne Zedekiah decides it's a good idea. He goes, oh, I know I just saw everything that happened and there was a massive revolution. Um, but what I think is a good idea is we should declare independence from Babylon. We should fight against Babylon. And we should say we're not going to follow your rules anymore and we'll be our own nation. And like King Neb is going to be totally cool with that. Well, he wasn't. This ensured Israel's destruction. It ensured that there would be problems. And it was completely an unwise choice. And so when he makes this choice, the hero of the story, Jeremiah, a prophet 
a person who would speak to power to, he would speak to kings who were people who had power. And he came to Zedekiah and he says, this is not the Lord what you're doing. The Lord is not with you. You should not do this. You should reverse course. You should say you're sorry and you should go a completely different direction. And if you don't, bad things are going to happen. What do you think the evil king Zedekiah does? He disregards him. He disregards it. And he would not listen. So what happens? The army comes in. And Zedekiah and his family try to escape. But they get caught. And what do you think happens? What do you think happens? Well, Zedekiah is marched in front of his entire family. And the other family, his whole family's right there. And all these army people are there. These military marines are there. What do you think they do? They look him in the eye and they kill, slaughter every single one of his children right in front of him. Lay out his wife too. Completely dead. And as soon as he's sitting there looking at all the dead bodies of the people he loves the most, they come up to him and they cut out his eyes, ensuring it's the last thing that he ever sees. And then they put him in the golden handcuffs and they ship him to live out the rest of his days in Babylon, knowing the last thing he saw was his own mistake, his own bad decision. Well, let's close our time together. No, I'm just kidding. We'll see you next week. When we hear a story like that, we would say, uh, not me. I would totally listen. And I have to say back to you, really? Are you sure about that? Would you really? Because when Jeremiah pleads with Zed, something is going on here. And it's connected to the verses that Marie so eloquently read. In Jeremiah 17.9, and this is Jeremiah's talking. He's talking it out on behalf of the Lord to Zedekiah. This is what he says. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart, my heart, your heart. The heart is deceitful. Jeremiah understood that Zedekiah was deceiving himself. Now, just to be clear, Jeremiah doesn't come out and say that the heart is dishonest. Because, you know, there's a difference between dishonest and deceitful. Uh, dishonest is easier to spot than being deceitful. But deceitful, deceitful is different. Deceitful usually implies agenda. Deceit usually includes a mix of truth and non-truths and half-truths. And if our hearts just straight up lied to us all the time, it would be easy to spot. It would be like, okay, that's a dishonest heart. But deceit, deceitfulness, is a little bit more difficult to detect, isn't it? But Jeremiah wasn't done. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. You see, Jeremiah understood that the heart was deceitful and beyond all cure, which means there's no cure. It's a permanent condition. We don't outgrow it. We don't outmature it. We can't fix it. It's hardwired. A permanent condition then requires permanent supervision. A permanent condition requires a proactive response. And otherwise, we will deceive ourselves. But Jeremiah presses in again. He's like, Zedekiah, I'm not finished. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? And when we read this, this makes sense to us. 
Because this explains why we've all said at some point, I don't know why I did what I did in the moment. Which is another way of saying, I don't understand why I decided what I decided. I don't understand why I chose what I chose. It's why we do things that make perfect sense in the moment, but later we're like, what, what was I thinking? I mean, maybe your parents said that to you. What were you thinking? I don't know. And you weren't thinking. Or you were thinking, but it made sense to you. Who can understand it? I don't know. It's why the person in the mirror will always be the most difficult person that you have to lead in your life because you don't make sense even to yourself. It's in the person in the mirror you can most easily deceive. Think about somebody you know. I'm not, don't think about yourself. Think about other people. You know, how, you know how other people are. But other people, and you say to yourself, why could somebody so smart choose to do something so stupid? This explains it. The heart can deceive us. It's not right in there. It needs constant supervision, and no one can really understand it. And it explains how we can deceive ourselves into a bad decision. We don't get into Zedekiah's motives. Story doesn't get into Zedekiah's motives, but purely there's something going on here that was not supposed to be there. Okay, so what do you do? Well, let's get to the solution. Number one, admit it. Admit it. Listen, if you can't admit that you have the potential to deceive yourself, you're deceiving yourself. <laughs> you're deceiving yourself. And let me just say that admitting that you have the propensity to deceive yourself doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you an honest person. And from the position of honesty, being honest about yourself, what you've done is you've practically set yourself up to make better decisions. Owning your own fragility, owning your own deceitfulness, the potential for deceitfulness doesn't make you bad. It makes you, it's sort of like when you have to be honest. And honesty always leads to healthy uh, future, healthy understanding of yourself. So first, and the first thing is you admit it. The second thing you do is you ask it. This leads to the question of the day. You ask it. And the question is this, the integrity question. Am I being honest with myself? Dot, 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 really. Am I being honest with myself? Basically, in this step, you have a heart-to-heart -heart with yourself. You stand in front of the mirror. You could even use your own name. Chris, why are you deciding to do this, really? What, what's the real reason? Am I being honest with myself, really? And then what you do in that moment, and this is the hardest part, is you tell yourself the truth, even if you don't plan to do what the truth is that comes out of your mouth. And that happens. I'm going to tell myself the truth. You tell on yourself. You tell yourself, even if you don't plan to act on it, you go, this is why I'm choosing what I'm choosing. And the third step that we take in this is that we get curious. We be curious. Uh, writer, speaker, TED Talk person, uh, Brené Brown has a, this quote. It is, our rational grown-up selves are good liars. Mm. Thanks, Brené. And what we want to do 
is we want to push through deceiving ourselves. Uh, in order to do that, we have to have what Brene calls emotional curiosity. It's when we decide that we're going to push through the discomfort that asking that difficult question uh, results in. Uh, we get curious about why we're feeling what we're feeling and why we're determined, why we're hell-bent on doing what we think we've got to do because we want to get to the truth. And telling ourselves the truth in this moment is the most important part of this process. Am I being honest with myself? Really? Am I telling myself a truth or am I selling myself a regret? Hey, why are you buying fill in the blank? Why are you moving to fill in the blank? Why do you continue to go out with him? Why do you continue to go out with her? Really? Tell me really, what, why? What is the real reason you refuse to reconcile with that person? with him or her, with your mom, with your dad, with the cousin, with the whoever it is. What's the real reason? Really? Is that the real reason? Why are you taking that job? Really? Like, really? Tell me. Like, like, you know, and you're not doing this with me. You're doing with this with yourself in the mirror. Why are you taking the job? Like, really? What's the real reason you don't call him? What's the real reason you don't call her? Now, back to the story of Zed. If Zed had asked this question, I don't know what would have happened. But it may have led him to be honest about why he was declaring his independence. It may have caused him to pause long enough that he might have avoided an invasion. He might have spared his family from his own choices. Now, the last thing I want to say about this, it's a point about anxiety. Sometimes when we ask the integrity question, why am I doing this really? This affects our deep-seated anxieties. It triggers them. It brings them out of the woodwork. You're like, oh, I didn't know I was anxious about these things until I started asking this question. And sometimes, you know, we're anxious about our future. I get that. I get anxious about my future. And sometimes people make anxious choices because they're worried, you know, they might not meet the right person. So they decide to settle with somebody else. And sometimes people uh, with anxiety or people make anxious uh, decisions that result in knee-jerk reactions because they're afraid of missing out. And sometimes our anxiety, as I explained before, it causes us to make bad decisions at our work, bad hiring decisions, bad firing decisions, bad decisions all around. And let me just say this. When you ask this question, am I being honest with myself really? It's highly possible that your, that your anxiety is about life, your anxiety is about love, your anxiety is about your future and money. They're all going to be revealed. Like, just run the scenario. Why are, you, why are you buying this? Well, I need to buy this because. Well, why are you making that decision? Two or three questions down, you start to get a potentially some things, some deep-seated things that God might want to address with you. But here's the good news. The reason we follow Jesus is because Jesus understood the heart. And even though we don't understand the heart, Jesus understood the deceitfulness of the heart 
And he understood how the deceitfulness of your heart is connected to our deepest questions, our deepest anxieties, and our deepest fears. And it's through the death and the resurrection of Jesus that the deep issues of the heart are able to be dealt with. And so for every single person who turns to Jesus, every single person who looks to Jesus, they can receive forgiveness and healing and freedom from the questions and the hopes and the dreams and the fears that affect us. And you and I are not able to address the deep-seated anxiety on our own. And we're not able to address the deep issues of the heart on our own. We need a Savior who can heal us from these issues. And here's a sentence I really, if you don't remember anything else, this should be the theme of your life. When you are making a decision... And you're clear, or you become clear when you ask this question, when, you become, when it becomes a reality that there might be some things, some reasons that you're choosing to do something beneath the surface. Why am I doing this really? There's, a, there's something that you can say again and again to yourself that can help you. And it's this. Jesus died so I don't have to blank anymore. Jesus died so I don't have to be freaked out about hiring decisions in the future of the church and we've got to make this happen and COVID and all the things. I mean, put yourself here. This is my world. I like started church. We grew a church and then it all went away and we had to start over again. Okay, do you understand that there could be anxiety in that? Right? You understand that this is hard on me? Do you understand as muscular and 3% body fat as I am? Like I have, I am, this is hard. This is hard. Jesus died so I don't have to worry about Pax City anymore. And Jesus died so you don't have to worry about being alone anymore. And Jesus died so you don't have to worry about finances anymore. And Jesus died so you don't have to let the thing become the thing which results in the thing anymore. That you have been set free. There is a Jesus, a Messiah, a Savior that has died on the cross to break the power of us having to live according to that thing. Amen? Amen. Um, which leads us to the integrity decision. The integrity decision is different than the integrity question. Uh, the integrity decision is this. I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. And why? Why do we get to do that? Well, at the end of the day, Jesus died so I don't have to anymore. I just don't have to. That's all I want to share today. But before I go, um, you know, when everyone comes back from their post-Easter trips, you can bring them up to speed on everything that we're doing. But here's the deal. I'm going to offer you the Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets Challenge, uh, Money Back Guarantee Challenge. And here it is. Um, this five-week series is based on this book by Andy Stanley, Our Father Who Art in Alpharetta, Georgia. And, uh, and like, you're going to, if you buy this, here's your guarantee. If you buy this with your own hard-earned money, I guarantee that if you read it, 
you will make better decisions when it comes to your next big decision or I will personally buy your book back. Nikki, we should have talked about this. I will, I will personally buy your book back, but you have to read it. And here's what I'm offering to you. If you buy the book and if you read it, I promise I will sit down with you for as many sessions as it takes to work through your hard decision. I will give myself, I will give my energy to help you make a better decision because we'll use the book as a tool. I will do this with you one-on-one. -on -one. If you're uncomfortable with meeting with me, then we'll schedule a phone call um, or whatever you need to do. But I, I, that's my commitment to you. But you have to buy the book. You have to have some skin in the game. And if you put some skin in the game and you buy the book, I will sit with you and we will make that hard decision. You will make the hard decision. I will advise you on how to make the hard decision. I'll be your kind of like coach and I will play back and forth with you. Some might even call it pastoring. Um, I will do that with you. And if you read the book and you don't like it or you don't get out of it or it makes you make a worse decision, I will buy your book back. But you have to do it. You have to buy it. So that, that's my challenge to you. Let me know if you decide to take up the challenge. I'll offer it to everyone next week. You can be ahead of the game by picking it up at Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. So there we go. Why don't we all stand? We're going to worship together. Um, but I want to invite some of you to respond. Some of you have a big decision to make. Uh, I want you to come to the front of the room. And I want one person on our prayer team in a private, quiet way as we sing the next song to pray for your decision. If you are uncomfortable sharing the details of your decision, don't share it. But just we will pray that God will empower you and give you everything that you need to make a good decision. So some of you are working through a decision right now that you have to make. And I'll be up here. I would love to pray for you over the next song. So if that's you, make your way forward and someone on our prayer team or myself will pray for you. Um, before we do that, let's pause and let's pray one more time. God, we welcome you here. And we ask God that you would uh, fill our decisions. We want to make better decisions. God, we want to be honest with ourselves. God, it's so clear when other people aren't being honest with themselves. <laughs> and so I guess I ask that that reality of we're not hiding anything from you. We're not hiding anything from anyone else. I ask that that reality would press into our decisions. God, I ask that even right now, if there's folks here that have, are, are having a hard time with the decision, I ask that you give them courage to make that hard decision. I ask that you give people courage to, um, to be honest with themselves in this moment. So we give you the rest of our time in Jesus' name. Let's worship together, and I'll be up here in the front if you would like me to pray for you.